You're listening to Tomb Raiders, a gem of a podcast. We talk about art, creativity, entertainment, and many other topics. Hosted by Mike Lopez and Lalo Guerra. Hello, my friends. I'm Mike Lopez. I'm your host and creator of this gem of a podcast. We will bring and talk with artists and creators around the world. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to this new episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 7 of Toon Raiders Podcast. I am very, very happy to present our next guest, which is Dr. Mehmet Kandas. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Hello, Mike. Hello, Eduardo. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm doing great and glad to be here. Hello, doctor. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to greet you from Mexico. Thanks to Mike and the magic of the internet. Awesome. It's an honor to have you. We're going to learn a lot about science. So let me just tell the audience really quick that it's great to meet people like Dr. Mehmet. I feel really lucky. I almost feel like, remember Back to the Future, Marty McFly, when he meets Dr. Emmett Brown, last his friend. So it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> But no, thank you so much. Doctor, can you tell us a little bit about you? I am uh, the, an, an associate professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, Department of Biological Sciences. Um, I am at the university, let's see, I think 20 years now, or maybe a little bit longer. Um, I joined at a different capacity as a scientist coming from industrial biotechnology, then uh, developed new projects and switched to uh, forming a new center in a, a spin-off company. And later I decided to switch to, uh, more in the teaching emphasis in my work. So um, my academic background is a little bit more eclectic than most other professors, because uh, most people as a pedigree, they are affiliated with the university environment uh, from the beginning. But myself, I have an A background from the industrial and academic uh, research and technology development and teaching experience. So currently I am working at the University of Texas at Dallas and uh, I am very, very uh, enthusiastic uh, with my uh, teaching work. I develop new courses uh, emphasized biochemistry, biotechnology and uh, new interdisciplinary topics and very updated Uh, areas for developing new uh, teaching and courses uh, such as cellular microbiology, nutrition and metabolism. I want to address the, the needs for uh, preparing the current students for the future challenges as well as opportunities. Great. That's, that's great to hear because um, you're not only uh, a great professor and a great scientist, you're a great person. And we call this podcast Toon Raiders Podcast because we're looking for the gems out there that are shining and people need to know about them. And we talk, yeah, Thank sure. You. And we talk about a lot of topics, specifically art, entertainment, but a little bit of everything. And You not only helped me in my personal project, that was my comic book, The Cell Organization, remember? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. 
It was great because you took the time to help me about knowing the influence of microbiology in our Earth. It's also about the universe we live in and the origin of life. The conversations that I had with you were great. And obviously, you're a great person. You love art. And uh, it's it's just great to, to meet you. Yes, I do remember. In fact, uh, um, I do receive quite a lot of uh, email. Some of them are solicitations, some of them are um, new applications or some um, ideas uh, that they want a mentor from university. And it's really hard to find time to respond all uh, emails uh, in that nature. But I vividly remember your email when you uh, described your project and uh, you want to meet just to have some ideas about this uh, new uh, comic let's call it actually uh, a mm -hmm. novel that you are developing so at, that intrigued me quite a lot Thank because um, i'm a scientist by training but at the same time i have a love and passion and interest to art and um, more specifically um, I don't look at the art just uh, duplicating and replicating whatever the art forms has been done. New ideas, new forms and new directions are always important from the creative point of view, especially when this is combined with uh, uh, some uh, science aspect and fictional aspect. So um, when you introduced the project and when we met, uh, I was very happy uh, because uh, that was an opportunity for me to be involved as well as probably an opportunity for you to further develop. So I hope I was able to uh, contribute as much as you expected, but the, uh, overall, uh, your graphic novel is definitely a very, very nice work. Thank you. And uh, again, I was very happy to be involved and uh, I hope that there will be new opportunities that uh, we can elaborate further, not only in the aesthetic version of the novel, but also maybe a more dynamic shows and more be uh, maybe a new versions of the art exhibits, more interactive versions of it. Yes, thank you so much for all your kind words, because yes, this is a team effort. Uh, it was not only me, it was Eduardo, it was Gabriela Ontiveros, which are in Mexico. Uh, I was working here in Dallas, but I have people help me in Mexico, like Eduardo, Gabriela. I had uh, another uh, amazing copywriter. Her name is Arlene Carr. And I also had Aldo Quevedo, which is uh, an amazing uh, creative, executive creative director in Lerma. So uh, there was a lot of people involved uh, right. and, and with their input. I, I don't remember the, uh, in fact, the, um, the being uh, listed along with the, that many creative uh, and uh, dedicated uh, people, I think it was a, definitely an honor for me too. I, I definitely congratulate everybody Thank who you. participated in that project. Uh, it is uh, definitely a very nice one. Yes, I'll definitely need to send uh, the link to the audience so they can check it out. Uh, um, I have that comic book as a digital comic book, so now it's easier to download. Uh, so yes, I for sure do it and I, I wish I can continue it, but you know, <laughs> there's a lot of work lately and every time I try to come up with new ideas, new stories and all crazy stuff, but you know, but definitely it's something that we need to keep evolving. Thank you so much for your kind words. So, of course. yeah, appreciate it. 
So moving now to the question sections. Uh, number one, what inspired you to become a scientist? Let me just um, answer that question going back to very, very early years of my life. Um, I grew up with a very uh, science and technology supportive parents. Uh, my father particularly was very um, uh, involved in the uh, following up the development in the scientific world uh, during the uh, years that the, uh, the space exploration and also uh, landing man on the moon, all those developments um, even though I was in a different country, um, I'm a Turkish citizen as well as a U.S. citizen. Uh, so mm -hmm. I grew up in Turkey and uh, following all those developments, it was important. And I believe I start to have the interest for science and technology environment. And uh, eventually this uh, interest mm -hmm. uh, became passion. And more than that, um, I start to see myself working in a scientific and technology-oriented uh, uh, career. And um, sure enough that uh, I started as a chemical engineering uh, uh, education and later switched to biological sciences and then switched to biochemistry uh, to do my graduate work and immediately work on the industry, both in the clinical uh, uh, and more metabolism-related uh, biochemistry work and then returned back uh, and completed further graduate work to get my PhD. During uh, meanwhile, I got into an assistant professorship, worked in the medical school, and later switched back into another uh, biotechnology company to develop vaccines, similar to what actually currently Moderna vaccine is working on. Our approach was a little bit different, uh, but we wanted to express the antigen genes uh, as a vaccine uh, rather than giving the antigen to stimulate immune system. And uh, later, uh, I was also involved in forming a company and uh, continuing my academic research and teaching. So uh, what inspired me to become a scientist is that I was nurtured in a very scientific thinking environment. And therefore, um, I don't mm -hmm. remember I had a actually interest to become someone different than what I am today. Um, I was also very much interested with the art. In fact, um, um, those who know me from my childhood, as well as from my high school and college years, they knew that um, I had definitely interested in uh, drawing and creating surrealistic pictures and painting. And they were kind of expecting me that I will go to a, uh, an art uh, major in the college. But I didn't. But I never disconnected from that environment. Quite a lot of my friends, they studied architecture, um, art. And later in my life, I was surrounded by um, with artists and uh, quite a lot of good friends, actually, from the art world. So science and art became complementary in my life. My profession is uh, as a scientist. I work in the scientific environment. So because my insp early inspirations mm -hmm. were definitely in that area. But uh, art was also a very important part of me as a scientist. Um, I was able to apply a creative thinking in the art environment, uh, obtaining patents and always trying to find out something innovative 
And so we were never uh, confined in a mm -hmm. uh, thinking in the box. We wanted to think out of the box. Uh, and I was happy that uh, those uh, interests as well as love to art just uh, helped me as a scientist. So, doctor, can you tell us about your life in Turkey? My life in Turkey uh, was not that different than the life that I'm living here uh, in Dallas, Texas. Of course, there are uh, some fundamental differences, probably, but the, as a cultural environment, uh, from the uh, various different trends that we were following, uh, both from the fashion, from the music, from the food, um, the, even the sense of humor, I find quite a lot of similarities. Um, there, Turkey has this amalgamation of the European culture with the um, Mediterranean culture and infusion coming from the East, as well as the old American culture, which was propagated with the American TV shows and then movies. Uh, so uh, I, when I look back my life in Turkey, um, it was uh, very, very mixed Uh, because the infusion and amalgamation of various different cultural components. But overall, again, that just like any other country, uh, we can see some um, uh, domains of different cultures. And my domain probably very aligned up the, uh, the life that I'm living here. Um, and I know that when that was the case, when I came here mm -hmm. and then got an offer to transfer my projects and continue some work here, uh, I had no challenge or difficulty it's like superimposing what i was doing and living there to here well the only difference was that well i was unplugged from one country and plugged in a new country uh, so overall uh, the life in turkey can be uh, very similar to what we know here especially now due to globalization uh, but also it can be very different because different infusion, different influences are there that we don't have it here. Mm -hmm. So overall, uh, the life in Turkey, at least the domain that I was living, the cultural domain that I was living, is very similar to what I know here. Great. That's great. Great to hear. I wish one day I can go there and visit. <laughs> That will be great. Yes. Yes. So tell me a little bit about the project that you feel more proud of. Oh, there are probably, uh, I mean, the, rather than proud of the, uh, I mean, the, yes, we can use the word uh, being proud of that um, uh, many projects that I have been involved. Uh, that is one of the distinction in my uh, uh, both personal and professional background that uh, the, indeed there are quite a lot of projects. Some of them are continuation of one project to another. It's mm -hmm. kind of a overlapping, piggybacking and then evolving. And some mm -hmm. of them are brand new, just initiating and uh, continuing. So um, there are small projects and there are very large projects. One of mm -hmm. the large projects was the, uh, the trying to uh, collaborate, create a collaboration. The mm -hmm. challenge of bringing people for collaboration is tremendous. It requires uh, many efforts, not only uh, being friendly and Uh, political, but also it requires dedication because uh, when it comes to collaborative projects, um, there's there are difficulties in running the project with uh, different people's interest in it. So, 
when I look back to one of the projects, in fact, it was a big collaborative grant development, um, I am really proud of that one. Well, it didn't eventually um, uh, brought the money that we were trying to bring with, from that grant, but mm-hmm. uh, developing the project and giving direction, uh, initiating the idea and seeding the main project, the essence of the project, I think the, um, uh, it was important. And knowing that that originated from me, I am proud of that one. The, uh, again, that those things evolved and uh, understanding various different aspects of the project, both from a uh, managing the collaborative aspect, also the managing the uh, different scientific expertise, how they can participate in a, a joint effort. Uh, all of them, they had to be done by someone, and that was mm-hmm. me. And therefore, um, I am indeed proud of that uh, effort. So how do you think science will be evolving in the next years, doctor? <clears throat> I can... Um, talk a little bit on the evolution of the biological sciences with the new uh, developments. Um, in the biological sciences, the developments indeed happened very fast. Um, one of the uh, biggest uh, uh, challenge, and this is a, a still an on- ongoing and developing challenge, is that biological science is developing tremendous amount of data And these data sets, they are not necessarily talking to each other. So let me just give a, a more solid example. We are trying to understand uh, how the cells, they operate. Now, operation of a cellular component requires uh, uh, the organization of various different molecules mm-hmm. in an uh, individual reaction uh, uh, part, as well as the assembly structural part, and altogether... Uh, organization of all these reactions and then components in a much more organized fashion that we call the unit of life, the cell. And we try to understand these and formulate these. Um, the formulation aspect is a very engineered uh, approach, engineering approach. Uh, it is not very easy. And uh, we are still trying to do that one. But at the same time, mm-hmm. Our technological advances brought to a uh, level that we are indeed seeing quite a lot of uh, reactions, not only at the atomic level, but also the structures uh, in the molecular level and how they are working together. Now, all of them, they were not pop, uh, doable uh, last 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, now we have the ability. But Uh, we are not talking about one or two or five or thousand molecules. We are talking about mm-hmm. an unbelievable number of structural and organizational uh, the components that we call it cell. And then those cells, they make multicellular organisms. And then those organisms, they fit into an ecological setting. So as you see here, understanding biology now reached a level that we need integration. So therefore, a direction that this biological sciences is evolving is that more integrative, more system level analysis. And of course, um, this is a challenge because uh, there is no one person can handle this one. We don't have the human intelligence to do this one. We have to work with the uh, computational system and artificial intelligence and machine learning systems. Now, That is pushing the also the um, mm-hmm. 
the science to a different area. We are trying to uh, generate uh, machine learning systems and artificial intelligence that will help us to understand life. And therefore, uh, mm -hmm. where science is evolving, overall, it really evolves to one point. We want to better our lives, but at the same time, we still didn't uh, fully explain what is life. Where is that coming from? What is life here and where the life is heading? And the ultimate questions, regardless of what scientific mm -hmm. discipline we are mm -hmm. talking about, still try to mm -hmm. explain biological life. Wow, yes. I, my mind is like, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very interesting because uh, definitely it's not up to us. It's up to other technology to really understand what's happening. So it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Right. So moving on to the next question, I want to say that uh, the cell organization, which you mentioned earlier, uh, that was the name of uh, my comic book that was inspired by science and obviously by the cells that live on the inner earth. So it had a lot of like sci-fi touch to it since the inner earth cells have a gigantic shape it was not small it was just gigantic and they were going to come out and regenerate all the chaos that we caused after a biochemical war so <laughs> what can yeah. you say about this especially if you compare uh -huh. this story that we both and a lot of people work uh, uh on my comic book if you compare it with us with what is happening Lately, it's crazy because it's very similar. Right, right. It's uh, ironically, which is the case. Yes. Um, uh, in fact, uh, um, it is a very, very uh, similar situation that um, I we don't want to believe that the, uh, it is inevitable that human beings that will uh, we will create the disaster and uh, we will definitely bring uh, our end. Um, it is hard to accept that one, but it is also uh, the reality. It looks like that um, human beings are the worst thing that happens to this planet of Earth. There is no doubt of that one. Um, we are not helping uh, the uh, the life, uh, but at the same time, we can just move to a different angle to that problem. Is that well, we are the one of the important aspect of the life on this planet, so. Whatever we are bringing, that is what the uh, evolution of the life on this planet. So uh, regardless of what angle we are looking at, we are part of that life. So my approach is, of course, always trying to see human beings helping betterment of the life as well as our life. And I don't define life the only human life. I would like to see uh, the life uh, has many, many different components. We are one of them. And uh, we have to help the uh, all animals, uh, plants, uh, all uh, creatures uh, that we call uh, living, uh, mm -hmm. along with the ecological system, because we are part of that ecological system. So um, when Earth is failing due to human-induced uh, problems, it may be a biochemical war, uh, a nuclear disaster, uh, contamination, pollution, you name it. Um, we have to find solutions and uh, we have to find them uh, sooner than later because 
later means that one there may be extinction events which there is nothing to bring it back mm -hmm. uh, which apparently happened in the history of uh, earth uh, without human beings in the absence of human human influence five times so uh, now we are living in one of them maybe the the next extinction mass extinction will be also including humans living on this planet of earth so at that point what can we do uh, what i really liked that uh, about the cell organization was that it brought a mystic element more fictional mm -hmm. and more philosophical aspect of it uh, there is a spiritual force that mm -hmm. we uh, are uh, trying to or you just said that is a gigantic shape uh, that is the uh, the emerging to rescue the uh, earth now um, that is the important component that what I saw. In fact, during our discussions and then the, um, I was trying to bring uh, different angles and then you were trying to catch uh, different parts that you can uh, evolve the story to different uh, directions. Um, I also realized that the, uh, we are not necessarily looking from the same exact angle. Mm -hmm. uh, there were differences in the way that I am interpreting the story the way that you were interpreting, but overall, um, uh, that was the important part of it. That exactly. bring new ideas and then emerging whatever as a, a creative uh, the, uh, person that you will be introducing, and then everybody who was involved will be just evolving the story. So that aspect was very important. Overall, uh, the similarity now is more than ever that human beings are causing disastrous events, mm -hmm. and. Those disasters event indeed can reach to a point that the entire planet can be in a cataclysmic uh, the, uh, breakdown. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the story, that's exactly the same thing. Uh, there is a cataclysmic event and there are some um, uh, unknown mystic forces they are coming out, which are uh, the probably more spiritual aspect of it, that uh, they want to rescue the humankind along with the planet. Mm -hmm. So therefore, um, at this point, uh, we should realize that one, the, uh, what caused this uh, pandemic event is indeed the way that we are destroying the ecosystems. The more human beings living on this planet, uh, we are going to be needing more resources. More resources, more human beings means that a less place for the nature to prosper and survive. And nature uh, is very, very vast in terms of their uh, re reservoirs, which means that there are bacteria, there are viruses, there are organisms mm -hmm. living in a very limited part of the Earth. We are a human planet now, and the more we invade the territories that the other uh, entities are living, we are going to see some uh, adverse interactions like this. And they are not trying to hurt us, but inevitably the adversities emerge because uh, reservoirs, sometimes they are distinct. They are segregated that uh, we shouldn't be living with bats. In fact, we never lived with bats. And mm -hmm. that's very normal that there are viruses, bacteria living in different organisms that we don't have it. And their organisms can be harmful to us. And vice versa. 
various different human uh, adapted organisms, they can be a big problem to other organisms. So uh, we always try to uh, analyze the situation from a human centric point of view. But at the same time, uh, we are causing disaster to the planet, not only to us, but to the entire planet. And uh, in the cell organization, the, uh, the emergence of the forces to help the planet along with the human beings. Do you think this virus really came from the bats or it was created by humans? That's the first one. And the second one in my comic book, well, it was a fictional thing. It was obviously the cells around us. But I think that there has to be more life. There has to be. I'm a truly believer that there has to be more life out there. Not necessarily, you know, the Martians that we see on TV, but life, like the viruses, cells of another kind, of another type of uh, shape or something. What can you say about these two questions? Yes. Let me start with the uh, first question. Um, I don't believe the current virus that we define SARS coronavirus 2 uh, is human made. It is not um, because uh, we have quite a lot of uh, viruses known causing diseases. In fact, coronavirus, uh, it's a big family of viruses. Mm -hmm. uh, for the last uh, 40, almost 50 years, uh, there are four known coronaviruses causing the common cold. Uh, these are in the uh, doctor's uh, watch list, uh, but again, they are causing common cold. Most of them, they are coming and going very quickly, uh, maybe 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, and they don't cause a problem. There is no lethality unless someone is so weak. Now, this virus uh, and related viruses emerged 17 years ago and the spill the in quotation spill refers to uh, one emerging infectious disease agent mm -hmm. such as the coronavirus spilling from one ecological reservoir onto another and this is the spilling from bat onto human uh, these are uh, very easy uh, because bats are mammalian uh, organisms and we are mammalian. So therefore, there are shared but already separated viral entities. And we do not necessarily uh, interact with the bats to this extent. But when we look at that, why did it spill? This is not the first. It will never be the first because in the past, I can give you the, both the Zika and Ebola. Mm -hmm. These are all similar events. Uh, there are spilling, emerging infectious diseases. And in our scientific efforts, this is pretty much well known that we are going to be facing more and more frequently problems, especially in the respiratory problems like this. Uh, because more human beings living on this planet they are invading and destroying the ecological settings where other organisms are living. And therefore, reservoir for this disease-causing, potentially disease-causing organisms, jumping on the human beings, it requires only one simple genetic change. Uh, so therefore, um, it is not a human-made virus. Um, at this point, uh, the research uh, 
originated from China as well as validated in all other uh, universities doing this research on virus show that one there is a another virus in the bats mm-hmm. 99% identical to this coronavirus but it is not infecting human beings mm-hmm. now that close relationship to existing virus like that all you need is small change a genetic mutation that will change the properties of this bat adapted virus to become a human virus and usually these events starts like that there is a five stages of this spill a virus it could be a bacteria too uh, which is usually adapted to one species stay there and typically this uh, two-way interaction between a virus or bacteria and the host species it is a long-term evolution which we call co-evolution mm-hmm. and it is a two-way street and it is Um, very balanced um, like bats they don't get sick from uh, the SARS coronavirus why their immune system is adapted they are continuously giving um, uh, the suppressive response so virus never populates in them but a little bit change the virus can become both a, a bat virus which is not hurting the bats but also a human virus which is hurting the human beings so this Uh, mm-hmm. swap host uh, they can be in both organism but swapped from bats to human beings uh, it is very likely uh, not only it occurred both in the SARS coronavirus 1 MERS which is Middle Eastern respiratory system respiratory virus and then SARS 2 and I guarantee we are going to be seeing more events like this one it could be another coronavirus infection it could be a new infection We have a list of different viruses, potentially big risk in the future because these things will happen. So overall, uh, I don't believe that this was a man-made virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a problem because we are invading the reservoirs of these viruses now. Definitely. Next question. Uh, is there life out there uh, beyond planet of Earth? Absolutely. I, uh, it will be naive for anybody to not to even believe in that one. Because um, we, again, very human-centrically try to explain the, uh, life uh, as a very unique event. Uh, I think that shifted uh, pretty much to that one, uh, which I call it, life is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so emergence of a life is inevitable uh Uh, this is a very biocentric uh, view of the universe, but the overall, indeed, um, the emergence of the what we call it this uh, the properties of life can happen somewhere else is very likely. It may be happening even our next door that we didn't know how to look at that. So we always try to define the life the way that we know on Earth. So therefore, it is natural to us that we want to find a life form that is common to us. Again, uh, that may be a wrong approach because uh, we have to find a twin to the Earth to find the common life forms. If you go to a different planet, a uh, different system in the universe, uh, there is a chemistry, there are common um, physical elements, and they can get together to form macromolecules and organizations. It may form a different life form. In fact, the uh, Uh, as a uh, 
long-term biology books to introduce viruses as non-living. Uh, but now we know that one day, yes, viruses are not cellular, but they are very important evolutionary part of the life. Mm-hmm. They are everywhere. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, we think our genomes might have been assembled by virus uh, integration. So therefore, um, we have to be much more open-minded to think about that. Is there life out there? Uh, yes, there is life out there. And not finding life the way that we think uh, close to us in the solar system, again, you are only looking at the very small part of an infinite system. <laughs> so therefore, uh, not finding life in Mars or anywhere else, that doesn't preclude that there is no life out there. Mm-hmm. There is life, probably <laughs> infinite amount of life when we will never know it, just like nobody will know us also. Yeah, probably somebody in another universe is recording a galaxy, uh, is recording a podcast about yes. <laughs> other galaxies and so on. So it's just it's just crazy. It's it's something unknown and that's fascinating. It's it's science. It's to go beyond and be curious. I I always try to apply that to my day by day work. Being curious is the best thing that ever happen to a human person yeah, and thank you yeah. so much for your answers um well now um the vaccinations i know this was not on the <laughs> script but there's an evolution of uh, the vaccinations but uh every day we hear like okay we need one and then you're gonna get a second one but apparently now we need a third one is this part of the evolution of the things that we don't know and that we keep learning uh, do you think that's part of a learning process um, i haven't heard about the third virus uh, that uh, that discussion didn't reach to my sources yet mm. but the uh, the reason uh, this two uh, shots are actually in the current virus depend on the how much uh, virus uh, the, i'm sorry the vaccine research companies they are finding their um, uh, immune boosting ability. So um, vaccines can be one shot. It may uh, boost the immune system, uh, induce the immune system uh, to a sufficient level, or it may be two shot. Now, let me explain the immunological uh, aspect of the how we are dealing with the uh, other entities on this planet. Our immune system, which is based on a two shot uh, to a level um, response system. The first response system is known as innate immunity. Mm-hmm. Innate in that we are pretty much um, encoded with some information in our DNA how to respond. So this is, uh, let me give an analogy, um, building a big uh, castle wall is actually an innate response. It's a barrier. So therefore, there is nothing. It tries to block the entry into the castle. But then you can also uh, put some sniper um, uh, shooters or some cannonballs or whatever you know you're you're saying, and those will be like more offensive and more targeting towards the invader. So that will be a, a little bit acquired. Or more specifically, in our immune system, 
we have this kind of a barrier-based and then non-specific defensive uh, system try to block entry of uh, potentially dangerous organisms in our system. But they are not sufficient. And vertebrates, meaning that the bone-bearing and then spine-bearing organisms, eventually developed a new set of cells and those became the immune cells and we start to evolve towards an acquired immune response. What we learned from the innate responses, it is overlaid into a more learned, acquired, specific response system. So we combine this non-specific responses with the specific responses to create a very specific uh, prevention system so that microbes, they are not overwhelming us. The microorganisms, including the, uh, the viruses, which are not cellular, but they can replicate very fast. So uh, we don't replicate. Our cells, they do not divide that quickly. So overall, a microbe can divide and uh, overwhelm our body very quickly. But we don't allow that one. Now, apparently in the evolution, I'm talking about the millions to billions of years of this interaction with potentially adverse interactions between microbe and our host body. We realize that we cannot defend our existence with innate defenses. We had to evolve this acquired immunity. And therefore, we immediately reverse engineer whatever trying to get in our body. And that is the key for the vaccine. So in order to induce immune response, we need to interact. So a microbe needs to get in our system and our immune system needs to interact with that entity. And during that interaction, we reverse engineer and we develop our specific tools called antibody so that we can specifically neutralize and eliminate from our body. Now, not only that, we also keep these information in the form of memory cells. And those memory cells, they stay in our body. If the similar entity or the same entity try to invade again, now we know, we don't have to go to this reverse engineering. We pull out the information from the shelf. We immediately make the antibody because we know how to make it. And we just manufacture much more robustly and more amount. And we are stopping very quickly. So typically, an immediate in uh, acquired immune response for the first interaction takes seven days to 10 days to make it. And that's the time we usually feel sick. The uh, raising temperature that we have fever, shakes or coughing, you name it. Those are the disease symptoms. But if the microbe doesn't kill us, we really learn what invaded us. Most of us, we can launch a much stronger immune system for the next time this invasion comes us. Now, we learned this uh, mechanism of how immune system learns and fights and protects us. And we start to develop an artificial immunization system, which is vaccines. Before we even interact with an organism like COVID causing SARS, what about if we take the, the most important component of this uh, SARS virus, which is the the spike protein, S protein that binds to us, and then 
give that information to our body. There is no virus, but we are giving that information so that we ask our immune system develop immunity against this uh, enemy. Now, it will be done with the first shot of vaccination. But um, the vaccine developer, especially the currently available, uh, the Pfizer uh, BioNTech vaccine, as well as the Moderna vaccine, um, they require two, uh, the Moderna wants uh, one shot, what Pfizer vaccine requires two shots. Uh, depending on the formulation, um, it can induce immunity with one shot or two shot. And again, what is the two second shot requirement? That is inducing immune system further. So most vaccines, they can work um, 50 to 60 to 80 percent, depending on the vaccine, uh, pro provide the protection like that. But the um, a second shot, the booster shot that we call can induce the immune system dramatically high levels, such as over 90% protection can be provided because we are now inducing the uh, memory cells, which they already know how to prevent, neutralize, and eliminate the infection. And therefore, uh, before the coronavirus enters into human body, if someone is vaccinated, they are pretty much uh, know how to neutralize the virus and why vaccination is very important. Uh, we wouldn't be here conducting this interview if you and I, we wouldn't be vaccinated with many uh, vaccines up to this point. Of course. There are quite a lot of childhood diseases which can kill very easily. In fact, uh, we have to really acknowledge the fact that the technological advances, the scientific advances, advances and then our knowledge brought us here. We didn't come here in spite of science. We came here because of science. Mm -hmm. And vaccine is an important scientific development. It brought us to that level. It protects unbelievable amount of people before they actually die because we vaccinate them. Otherwise, the challenges coming from the microorganisms, they are tremendous. They can wipe up many individuals before they can reach their teenage years. Um, so think about this. We are living longer and longer, not because we uh, we are living in a better environment. We are still living in a the same environment, but we understood many different things that was shortening our lifespan. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is infectious diseases. Um, this I teach in my uh, many courses, including the nutrition and metabolism and cellular microbiology and biochemistry that 1940s, um, a little bit early from 1937 to 38, the discovery of antibiotics changed the course of humanity. We start to control infectious diseases and controlling infectious diseases, people, they start to stay healthier. They start to become more productive. The production uh, and the manufacturing, the in fact, the industrial age was uh, uh, made uh, possible because of the uh, our ability to control infectious diseases. Now, antibiotics was important. Vaccination was much important. That that we realized that we can also create herd immunity, which will prevent the simple superficial infections to shorten our lifespan or cripple us. So therefore. 
Under these circumstances, we really need to acknowledge and be very volunteering to the vaccine. Now, people, they say, well, I don't know this about vaccine. Well, that was true for many vaccines. We know a lot of things about vaccines now. Mm -hmm. Our scientific knowledge is very advanced. That's why we were able to develop a vaccine against this coronavirus in one year. Typically, those efforts took five to ten years if we were just fully uh, dedicate our efforts. Now we can do this one very early. Uh, like, for instance, there are variants of this virus due to natural course of the virus evolution in the human population. Some of them are uh, concerning, but we know how to uh, immediately realign our viruses, uh, our vaccines to cope with those variants. So therefore, um, vaccination will be very important to get into a, the normality that we think that we want to get in. Wow, that is great. And especially a big uh, message to all our audience and especially the people that are taking care of themselves and are vaccinating or maybe the people that doesn't want to vaccinate because that's also something that has been happening. There's people that doesn't want to take the vaccination. But yeah, so this is super interesting. And also, since we can be talking here for hours, uh, definitely there's a lot of topics to, to talk, but at least we cover the main ones. For all those young uh, students uh, for, or for even somebody that's interested in start a career in science, what do you recommend for them? First of all, I definitely want everybody to be uh, interested in the science and technology. Uh, but of course, we cannot expect that everybody will choose the science and technology as a career direction. In order to be involved in science, I think the most important uh, thing is our passion and dedication. And it has to be very early on uh, realized. Um, When I hear people, they say, well, I want to try, for instance, that yes. someone much later uh, trying to see if, you know, the lab work or research is for them. Um, usually this doesn't go like that. I mean, the, the, those days probably are over. We need to be much early on uh, defining ourselves in terms of our interests. Now, there will be exploration uh, in various different areas in our life. There is no doubt. I'm not trying to say that one, we have to be rigidly knowing that junior high, so I'm going to be scientist or I'm going to be engineer. That doesn't work like that. We know that. Um, mm -hmm. But our interests, uh, they are indeed shaping. And some people, they are definitely geared towards different area, not necessarily science. So we cannot expect them. They will be scientists. Um, being interested in science, as I gave my own example, I think I was nurtured in an environment. So um, it was kind of a, uh, the, maybe the, my parents' infusion, my teacher's infusion, and also being surrounded by the same-minded uh, friends. Uh, science career definitely was in me. And therefore, I pursued without any hesitation. And when I look back, um, I don't think that I would be able to do anything else because I enjoyed every moment of my life in that direction so there were no uh, regrets there were no second thoughts so that was very important 
when I see quite a lot of people who wants to decide what direction they want to go, and I give that my own experience, my own example, and that I cannot give example from other people, but uh, it is the most important thing. Uh, when someone picks up a science as a career, they should be picking at the right time and based on a right background. Therefore, 10, 20 years later, they should not have any regrets. They should find themselves in a very rewarding situation regardless. Science careers, they are not necessarily a, a big uh, uh, monetary uh, the reward because the, there are dedication aspects. And therefore, um, we should never expect that scientists, they are in it because of money. Um, that is a, a very wrong approach. In fact, as someone who's trying to get into science, medicine, uh, uh, for money, well, the, they are not dedicated to the science aspect. They are dedicated for something else. Um, I would like to see that the science provides more opportunities than anything else. Indeed, that's the case, and it's going to be more and more important. So finding those opportunities and aligning up with those right moments, I think it will be very rewarding. And I know that had happened in my life there were moments, there were um, the times, uh, there are needs, and there are opportunities, and I am in the right moment to strike. So therefore, understanding to how I can uh, discover something based on my research, because there's a need in the medicine, well, if I can apply at that time, well, here we go, there's a reward. And believe it or not, that worked. I have uh, dozens of patents based on those. Uh, not because I wanted to patent something. Uh, I was able to think about that. This is the right moment that this idea is important for a solution. Let's also patent along with our publication because we know that one, we could maybe uh, exploit that patent to develop a product. But that was never a, the driving force. Our driving force was the science because we enjoyed. We also saw that there's an opportunity to uh, also explore that aspect. So passion is the most important part. Definitely. No, magnificent. That's great. Um, also, can you tell us about your experience in UT Dallas? I remember I was there and it's an amazing university. So all the information that you can give us about UT. Yes. Uh, university of Texas of Dallas is one of the uh, premier universities. We are very proud uh, of our developments. Uh, one of the fastest growing research university. Um, it is uh, unrecognizable. Uh, we developed uh, in areas and then uh, we grew in areas that uh, probably nobody knew how we will reach to this level. Uh, so there is an organic growth as well as the, the growth that is definitely uh, directed with the leadership. So uh, that is one thing that I know that one day, uh, there are growth in many universities. We are not the only one. We know that. But at the same time, the uh, UT Dallas, along with uh, the leadership, along with the right decisions and being in the right environment, right support and the, a fantastic environment like the DFW Metroplex, I think we did excellent job and uh, uh, 
the better things will be coming more and more. The University of Texas at Dallas is a fast-growing and very, very research-oriented. And we have responsibility, not only continuing our research, supporting the technology development uh, and bringing new scientific advances to the betterment of the society, but also uh, we need to educate the students. Uh, an important aspect of the any university, especially a research university, is education, uh, technology development, and then societal betterment. So we are in that right center, and we are uh, very proud of our developments. And uh, UT Dallas is going to be getting better and better, uh, not only with its infrastructure, but also with its uh, uh, capability, the scientific, uh, as well as in many areas, such as we have a bombastic um, art institute. We have a um, ATEC, the art and technology oriented endeavors, computer sciences, engineering. We have so much developments, and um, I think that we will be just serving to the society in the, uh, the coming years very well positioned. Great. Thank you so much. And for more information, there's the website utdallas.edu. You can check it out and you can check all the information that you need. It's it's a pretty nice website and uh, you check it out. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It was a very interesting conversation, doctor. Uh, any message that you want to say to the people that are listening? Sure. Um, now Nowadays, um, um, one of the important areas that I, rather than um, giving a preaching message, but the... Uh, we are living in a very uh, challenging environment. Uh, there were challenges in the past, uh, but the, uh, the current challenges, uh, uh, I see that they are a little bit different in nature um, in the sense that um, we do not have the, the right solutions even in our imagination. And that probably is a very different challenge. Um, I remember just, you know, the uh, reading and evaluating and uh, uh, looking at the, the past challenges. There was a one interesting analogy uh, related to uh, in the uh, Middle Ages or the, in the, during the Renaissance time that uh, when people, they were stressed and there were challenges related to uh, various different aspects of our life, uh, we start to look for hope. And some of those hopes are uh, somehow attainable. For instance, that when the, um, uh, the Europeans, they try to actually the, reach to the other side of the ocean, well, we know that we will reach to somewhere else, and at least all of them are conquerable. Uh, so the, uh, there <laughs> yes. are many challenges that we knew we can conquer. But current challenges, I start to think that they are a little bit different. Uh, in fact, uh, I, nobody knows we can conquer or not. So therefore, we will try to adapt without conquering. And that's a very different aspect of the current challenges. So my message will be that we really need to uh, be much more uh, the tightly connected with our thinking and then with our actions. And the only way we can adapt is our collaboration, not separation from each other. Um, Last Friday, I gave a, a talk on the evolution of the pathogen and um, I explained the 
how evolution works. Evolution looks at the how uh, organism, biological evolution I'm talking about, how the uh, biological entities, they change over time. Now, the changes is nothing but adaptation to the new environment. Evolution doesn't have a direction because we do not know what is the future will bring us. So therefore, um, the anticipation aspect of a, a, a evolution is not something we can really uh, bank on. But at the same time, we adapt the current challenges. Now, when we also look at the, uh, what are the forces that shape the evolution, well, the force that gives the evolution, uh, the, uh, the selective adaptation, is the natural selection. The nature, the environment, the forces that is imposed on us, they change. And we need to adapt based on those changes. And most of the evolutionary thinking also thought that uh, the strongest survive. That was not the case. We know that part. Uh, we don't have to be very strong to survive because there are quite a lot of examples in the nature that um, even sometimes the mediocre or even the weak they survive through collaboration. So collaboration is a very important pillar in the evolution, biological evolution. The fittest, the most robust they survive, but also the most collaborators survive. So therefore, my message is that we are living in a time and there are challenges in front of us and there are opportunities now and in front of us, but we need to realize them correctly. And therefore, I am just saying that collaboration from now on is more than ever. We cannot face the global climate change because I am recycling. Everybody has to do their part. We cannot do individually because they are not making a dent, but collectively we can actually uh, make advances and even conquer certain challenges. That is great. That is one of the best answers I've heard and truly an inspiration, Doctor. Uh, this is something that definitely will help everybody from a very young kid to to an elderly or an adult. This is great. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting. And uh, uh, definitely, I will be looking forward to more collaborations. Definitely for you. Yeah, yeah. We all need to collaborate. We need to do a part two of Dr. Mehmet for sure. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> But no, this is this is amazing and hopefully a good message for everyone, as I mentioned. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you so much, Eduardo, for being here. Um, can you say something in Turkish, a nice message, and can you translate? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, let me say thank you in Turkish. Teşekkür the, ederim. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Eduardo. Thank you very much, Doctor. It was very interesting talking to you. Uh, I hope I can talk to you again very soon. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care and have a great one. Bye-bye.